Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always, even here in the new year, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Um, I think a Happy New Year would have been appropriate there. But... Happy New Year, Eric. <laughs> happy New Year. I'm glad oh, you're back. Yeah, no, yeah, me too. Um, so we've got a great episode for you today. We're going to be recapping our what we've what we've been doing while we were gone, and then getting into the controversial book deal that everyone is talking about. The deal that Milo Yiannopoulos. How do you even fucking say it? I don't think it matters. We're just going to be calling him Milo. Because um, that's easy. and I'm He's not, not a friend of the podcast. <laughs> Let's just get that um, right out there. He got a book deal with Simon & Schuster. We'll be breaking that down. Um, but first, Laura, how about some housekeeping? Absolutely. So we have two special episodes this month uh-huh. uh, as well as you know our regular four every Tuesday. Um, on Thursday, January 12th, we have our special query show available to our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. And on January 29th, our first pages show. So if you'd like for us to critique your query or first page of your book on air, send it to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Don't worry, they're anonymous. Those have been getting fun. I really liked our last few. We really like, you know, got yeah. into it a little. Yeah, it's it's good. really fun. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, though, so it's the new year. Yeah. It's 2017. Yeah. We've left 2016 in the dust. Thank goodness. Nothing that happened in 2016 will, of course, have any ramifications in 2017. <laughs> this is a brand new year. Everything is better and fresh and new now. Um, but so we've been gone a couple weeks. We um, have. What were you up to? Well, I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, wow. Ate my weight in green, green chilies. Okay. Um, I also discovered a diner in oh. New Mexico that has breakfast, macaroni, and cheese. Okay. Um, so basically... I gained a lot of weight. Okay. Um, but Excellent. I wanted yes. So I wanted I wanted the weight to be really thematic, mm-hmm. Eric. Yeah, because no, as you should. You're an agent. I needed right. Yeah, I needed to justify right. it. So call I it, let's not call it weight gain. Can we just call it list building? List building. <laughs> okay. So so the five to ten list building yeah, yeah, yeah. activities right, I right, did. Right. The um, acquisitions you the, made. The acquisitions yeah. I made. <laughs> I as I was as I was making these acquisitions, I was reading just kind of like the perfect book for it. Right. I um I took out the audiobook of Kitchens of the Great Midwest by J. Ryan Strandle. Strandle? Okay. Something like that. Okay. Straddle. Straddle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um from you know, from my local library and I listened to it on on my Albuquerque Adventures. You listen to it, you listen to a Kitchen book on audiobook? Well, it's okay. So it's a Don't novel. Do you want the pictures for that? Oh, it's a it's no, a no, novel. No, it's a novel. It's okay. a novel, and it's got um, no. It wasn't like a cookbook. Okay. No, the cookbooks I just like sit and read on my couch right. for fun every right, Sunday. Right. Right. Oh, wow. Man. Yeah, I have an entire bookshelf dedicated to cookbooks, Eric. Wow. Yeah. I don't. Right think, I don't. I don't think I own a cookbook. That's sad. Yeah. I'll give you some. All right. I've got a couple of duplicates. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so I would I you know, it's this novel and it's and it's kind of told in interconnecting vignettes focused on different people all over the Midwest and they kind of all have this one woman's life mm-hmm. as as you know, as a connecting thread who is apparently this this woman who's got a once in a lifetime palette or this once in a generation palette. So basically like the Jesus of food tasting. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that was it was it was lovely. 
That sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So I, I, as I was gaining weight, like I felt really good about it because I was like, man. <laughs> somebody... felt very erudite and literary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was like, man, they're talking about chili peppers. Mm-hmm. Like I ate this macaroni and cheese with green chilies on it. Like I'm feeling great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like reading about Paris while being in Paris. Basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, Basically. So I went home and I guess read Where's some... home? Um, I went home to Denver, Colorado. Um, and... What did I read? I read Jonathan Lethem's Anatomy of a Gambler. Um, or is it called a Gambler's Anatomy? It's something like that. It's the new Jonathan Lethem novel. And I didn't love it. It wasn't that good. Um, it kind of bummed me out because I really like a lot of his other books. You but told me earlier that you read a book that you hated. Is yeah, this, this it? Is the one you hated it? Love. It just wasn't any good. It didn't have anything going for it. It was just kind of mm-hmm. stupid and silly and gratuitous. So then you were you were feeling eating? Yeah, no, I oh I I ate plenty. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I pulled my weight in the podcast eating realm. Um, but yeah, and then uh, the funny the funniest thing actually happened uh, for Christmas. I was exchanging gifts with my significant other, who at the time had not caught up on the latest episodes of Print Run, and she got me a book for Christmas. Do you know what book she got me? What book did she get you? <laughs> she got me the Yiddish Policeman's Union. <laughs> <laughs> the one book that I have declared loudly and publicly is the only book I have re- I recommend or gift to anyone. And it's really, honestly, like, is it bad that I'm, like, a literary agent and I only like, like, one book? No. Okay. Well, no. Well, anyway, she got me that one, and I, like, laughed out loud very, like, right as <laughs> like, I got and it. And this is literally, what, like, two days after we recorded yeah, an yeah, episode exactly. where you yeah, specifically like, said that? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I know you like this one. I know you were missing your copy, so here it is. And I was like, yeah. But no, she got you a good. first edition. It is a first edition, so it was it was very nice. Um, I read Over read Break, it. The Yiddish You Police read it. Union. What did you think? This I is, did. This is, again, the, the Eric Kane official only good book. It was it was very good. Oh, good. It was very it was very it. good. I also listened to it on audio, and oh, I got this gosh. like, "Why are you so upset I, about audio?" We can have we're gonna have an episode someday, maybe about next week, audio books and if, whether or not they count or not. And I know that everyone's gonna be furious with me that for me saying that, but I'm not sure they count. Okay, folks, if nothing <laughs> if nothing explodes next week, yeah. I'm gonna fight Eric on why audiobooks are really awesome. Well. We'll so I listened to that. it on audio, uh-huh. and I will save my reasons for why the audio was very good yeah. for next time. Uh-huh. Um, but it was lovely. Good. It was lovely. Yeah, it is lovely. It's the yeah, only good it book. Was, I, I read it like two books after I had listened to the fourth and fifth George R. R. Martin books. Mm-hmm. The fifth one is literally 55 hours long, so I finished <laughs> it after like two That's months. That's really the main reason I would hate it is because I feel like you'd like – just to look at how many hours of your life go in. Yeah, but do you remember when you lent me the third yeah. Game of Thrones book? Yeah. And it had like those Bible type pages because yep. it was just so thick. Yep. And I read it for about a month. Yeah. And I would read like got one like, chapter. Got like sad about it. In the I got, yeah, 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 I like remember like, texting you saying, Eric, it's never I, ending. I, this yeah. book is never ending. Like yeah. I have been reading this for right. a month and I'm only halfway through. Like, why isn't anything changing? Right. Um, yeah, so I mean they're about the same. Yeah, they're about the same. Anyway, <sighs> well, we're back. We're back, and I'm glad you're here. I'm sp- looking into your beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> I suppose it, I suppose it remains to be seen if we're better than ever, but um, we hope to be. I think it's going to be a good year. We're going to do some interesting things. Um, we're going to have guests. We're going to have guests. Um, to be determined. We will be releasing those names soon. 
Um, but yeah, should we should we just get to it? Is yeah, it time just yeah. kind of dig I mean, into this thing? The the whole world of publishing right now, and then all the all the people who like read sometimes know about this. Yeah, my uh, fiance knows about it, and he <laughs> doesn't read. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So today we are going to be talking about the book deal recently handed out by Simon and Schuster uh, to one Milo Yiannopoulos. We're just going to call him Milo. Um, he is famous, I guess. I mean, I guess it depends what kind of, you know, I suppose not everybody's heard of him because not everybody is hopelessly addicted to Twitter like I am. Um, but hopefully they're addicted to Ghostbusters. Yeah. Well, um, Milo is a is a very far right leaning, um, alt right kind of public figure, rock star kind of guy, right? This is a person who espouses views that mainstream Muslim culture is harmful to Western society. This is someone who thinks that gays need to go back into the closet because gay rights are making homosexuals stupid. Spoiler alert, he's uh, gay. Yeah, no, well, that's the thing. And he gets away with all this stuff because he, you know, he can say, but I'm gay too. So as though that's like a reason to be able to just say offensive shit about whoever and whatever you want. Um, the point is, this is a person who... Um, Basically, has built a career out of saying inflammatory and quite, um, quite clearly hateful things about a wide variety of people. Um, whether women, it's, yeah, also. women, whether it's uh, homosexuals, whether it's um, Muslims, people Muslims, of color. Yeah, he is the one who uh, led that targeting of this targeting online harassment of uh, Leslie Jones during that Ghostbusters fiasco when every. Everyone on the right was like pooping themselves about there being women in their boyhood movie. Um, I, don't, I still like. I was talking to you this about this earlier. I don't know, understand why everyone was so mad about that. I don't but, even know either. But like people were mad. People were and so they mad. They came after Leslie Jones largely at the behest of uh, this man who has just lucked into quite the paycheck uh, from Simon and Schuster. Um, this guy is an editor for Breitbart News. Yeah. So yeah, let's just get the yeah. He's an editor for Breitbart, which. Um, isn't you know we don't really need to talk about Breitbart here, but it's a very far right leaning publication um, that has declared itself the um, platform for the alt right. It's um, you know it's uh, I guess editor in chief is now the uh, key figure in the Trump administration. Um, it's basically this guy is about as far right as it gets uh, to the degree that he's. Um, I don't know, fascist? Are we are we using the F word with this guy? I mean, I mean it, it is the word of 2016, it kind of, it, it, so. <laughs> it kind of fits, but it, and he kind of packages it in this very, you know, good looking and stylish thing. And that's kind of why I, I guess he's interesting. I don't yeah. know. Twitter. OK, um, so he's also like the only person that Twitter is like actually banned. Well, we're going to. Yeah, we're going to get yeah. to that. So Twitter did actually ban this person for. And if you know anything about um, Twitter's. Um, really, their just reluctance to ban anyone for anything or stop any sort of harassment of any kind. Getting banned from Twitter is like quite a feat. Um, it's like hard to do. Like, it's like you can going really... to the moon of harassment. <laughs> it is it actually it is. It's the moon landing <laughs> of harassment. Um, it's it's really something that you gotta you gotta really push pretty hard to get kicked off Twitter. And he, and he managed it by just being an asshole for a just really a really long, long extended period of time. Um, it's quite the body of work that, that got him that distinguishing So honor. talk about his book deal. Okay, so the book is called Dangerous. Um, I want to get the – let's see. Let me pull up here. The um, – um, here we go. So this is – the book is called Dangerous. 
Um, it publishes and on March it, it, 14th. Yeah, it publishes on March 14th, which, as you were saying, is, is quite soon. They're either, either crashing this or they were um, they were withholding the information. My sense is that they were crashing it because it seems to me that this is not the type of person or the house that would really hold back. Like, I get the sense that this is new and that they're just rushing through it pretty quickly, but that's neither here nor there. Um they are declaring this book a book on free speech by the outspoken and controversial gay British writer and editor of Breitbart News who described himself as the most fabulous supervillain on the Internet. Um, so it's this hard right-wing guy talking about free speech, which I guess is sort of his topic because he says a bunch of stuff that people hate and then uses that backlash to make arguments about how people are trying to suppress his um, – you know, right to say those things, and we'll kind of get to that here in a second. But um, the the uh, the publisher specifically at Simon and Schuster is Threshold Editions, which we've talked um, about before yeah, on so, this podcast, right? Yeah, uh, Threshold Editions um, is the conservative imprint of Simon and Schuster. Uh, um, pretty much every big house has a conservative imprint, but Threshold Editions has published Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, so he published the Make America Great Again, Crippled America, the Make America Great Again. Book. Yeah. It looks like they, I'm looking at their page now, it looks like they published people like Glenn Beck, they published, I'm seeing a bio of uh, Chris Christie, um, you know, people like that. I mean, it's just kind of, yeah, it's just the Simon & Schuster, their, <laughs> their slogan seems to be 10 years of being right. It's very, it's very clever. Do it you is get very it? Do you clever. Get it, Laura? I do, uh, <laughs> I do get it. Um, so I've got a problem with this book deal. Um, do you have a problem with this book? Too? I have multiple problems with this book deal, yeah. Eric. Um, so well, why don't you start? Like when you heard this news that Milo was getting $250,000, by the way, this was not just a book contract. This was a book contract with a hefty advance. And He actually says that it's a, quote, wheelbarrow yeah. full of no, money. No, I know. That quote and that quote is going to kind of encapsulate. We're gonna, why don't, why don't you just actually start right, with that? Sure. His statement. Okay, here we go. Um, and this is going to play in when we talk about what we thought publishers were and what they are proving themselves actually to be. It's going to resonate. But here we go. Um, I met with the top, this is from Milo talking about uh, the deal he just received. I met with top execs at Simon and Schuster earlier in the year and spent half an hour trying to shock them with lewd jokes and outrageous opinions. I thought they were going to have me escorted from the building, but instead they offered me a wheelbarrow full of money. Um, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> they have backed up the wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow full of money in front of Milo, and now he has his book to talk about free speech and presumably anything else um, that this man who has made a career out of saying all sorts of really just despicable things. Um, so basically he went into Simon & Schuster trying to get thrown out of the building. And instead of <laughs> because getting... that would have been the story, right? That he could have, um, he would have loved to have had that happen too. I feel yeah. like it's kind of a can't lose situation for yeah. him. So he went in yeah. trying to get thrown out, and then they gave him money, which yeah. I think um, really has given him and his supporters a lot of that free speech argument. So, so basically, as soon as this came out, a lot of people including a lot of Simon & Schuster authors and people who, you know, work in books. They got really, really upset. Everybody got mad. Everybody got Why? really so mad. So let's, let's start there for a second, um, just so we can kind of put this together systematically. Why do you think – and it, the answer is, is obvious, but why do you think everybody got mad that this guy got a book deal? Well, the, the simple answer, the answer that everybody I think is saying is that they're condoning hate speech. Sure. 
by doing it. But right. but here's here's what I think they're actually mad at. Um, we've talked about on the show before that, you know, especially during the election, we talked mm -hmm. about how both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were published by Simon & Schuster. Yeah. Hillary Clinton was published by SNS proper. Okay. So what, by imprint. that you mean like the main imprint. Their main of imprint. Simon yep. Schuster. Yep. Yeah. Donald Trump has always been with Threshold Editions. And in a lot of the – like, and I've, you know, for multiple episodes, we've mentioned Threshold. Yeah. So I've looked into them pretty consistently. Yeah. And very, very rarely are they mentioned as Simon & Schuster imprint Threshold Editions. It's, kinda... it's pretty much Threshold Editions and imprint of Simon & Schuster. Yeah. So it's very, like – it's – they're very well-known on their own. It's arm's length. At arm's length. Yeah. They're not anymore. That's the thing. Everybody's been talking about Simon and Schuster, Simon and Schuster, Simon and Schuster. Well, so and this whereas is... before it was just I'm published with Threshold Editions. Okay. Nobody's been mad before. Okay, so that speaks that speaks to the kind of the larger reason why I think people are mad, which is less publishing specific and more, I guess, ideologically specific or politically specific, um, which is that this feels like a real major step in normalization of alt-right ideas, of this sort of ideology, where suddenly now in 2017, New Year, um, it's okay to say the sorts of things that this man says about Muslims, about black people, about women, about um, all sorts of groups that... Yeah. Like, <laughs> Threshold Editions yeah. has been around for a decade, literally 10 years. Right, but... Nobody's been... Trying to boycott Simon and Schuster, and we'll get a little bit more into the boycott okay, later. So, but the problem I think everyone has on a fundamental level is that by giving this man two hundred fifty thousand dollars and saying, "Please write this," you know, looking at his body of work, saying, "Looking at this author, right?" Just like you would look at any author who is potentially writing a book for your house, saying, "Hey, here's what he talks about. Here's his audience. Here are his ideas." What we want to do is give him a big fat check and amplify his voice. And it just so happens that this voice is, I think, pretty – I don't think it's that hard to call it hate speech. I think you know, oh, it's I, absolutely. I've been fighting with idiots on the internet all week about what hate speech is. And I haven't really been that aggressive in my definition, I don't feel. But it's just like um, you just look at the, the things the man, the man says – I mean, it's hate speech, and he would probably he would probably call it hate speech in his own way. I mean, I don't think he's shying away from being hateful. I think that's part of his quote unquote charm to these people. Um, but the point is that people are mad because they've basically given a white nationalist a giant book deal to mainstream his ideas into the public. In fact, um, here we so. Here we go. Yeah, this is the moment that Milo goes mainstream. Um, is something is something that he said. I think in the third person. <laughs> about Lovely. Himself. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, you should look the guy up. He's quite. Um, he's the kind of guy who would talk about himself in the third person. So can you <laughs> can you break down a little bit, Eric? I know we were talking about this a little bit before, but yeah. exactly. So, kind of not to not to you know go go super far back into primers of how publishing houses work but yeah. basically you get an advance uh -huh. based on um how many books a publisher thinks you're going to sell because they want to they want to earn out right right so, so talk about what two hundred and fifty thousand dollars equals sure. in projected book sales okay so it's i mean that is a little bit um i mean it's a hard thing to it's an impossible thing to do but well, approximate sure um you, when you give an advance, you're giving an advance on royalties, right? Which means that once the author 
you're basically paying a bunch of the author's royalties up front. And so the Milo is getting $250,000 of his royalties. So once his book would have earned him $250,000, that's when he starts getting paid more. Um, you can do a lot of convoluted math. And based on my napkin scratchings, based on what I assume the royalty rate is in the ballpark of and what I guess, the, you know, if we can assume the book is going to be priced at like 25 bucks, this is a book that would earn out at about – 66,000 copies is what I estimated, and that obviously depends on a lot of stuff. But basically, like, high five figures is what this book needs to sell for SNS to have made a good deal. Um, so they, in, you know, they may, I don't know, I guess that's an indication that they think that's how many people are going to buy it. Yep. Um, but it's... It's a ton of money in the grand scheme of things, though, yeah. as far as, like, celebrity books. Yeah. It's not actually that much money. Like yeah, Amy so, Schumer right. got $9 million right. from Simon & Schuster. Uh-huh. So there you go. Yeah, so it's so it is, it's not that much money for, yeah, I guess not for like a mainstream celebrity book, but that's not the, but But 66,000 copies is a but, ton of money. But Milo isn't a mainstream or, celebrity yet. Yeah, that's and true. And that's what we we're just talking about here. And that's why people are so hesitant is because you release a book like this and this is how someone like this with ideas like this person has starts to become more and more of a, of a mainstream thing. And I want to – so two things happened, right? Everybody got mad, right? Everybody got on their high horse and I was, I was one of those people who got really, you know, upset that the, there was, you know, that a publisher, you know, who loves to, you know, proclaim their own virtue every chance they can, who wants to pretend they're these kind of liberal bastions of um, ideological progress has kind of, you know, backed the wheelbarrow up for someone like this. Um, purely because that seems to be the way the wind is blowing. Um, but so so people like us got mad, and then conservatives got mad back at us, right? There was this kind of reverse thing, and they gave us the same argument again and again and again, and I had to spend <laughs> – I didn't have to spend. We, no, we can all just you log chose off. To spend. We can all just log off whenever we want. Um, if you log off, they win. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not, man. That can't be the answer. Um, but – Conservatives got mad at the backlash with their standard, but it's, you know, what about free speech argument, so right? So why isn't this a free speech well, argument? Well, so, and, that, and that's my point, is that this is not a free speech issue, and they think that it is, and it, it really isn't, because free speech is the right to, you know, the right to say what you want in this country, when, you know, within a certain, you know, very wide-ranging parameters. But, like, you know, it's not – no one's real issue, no one intelligent – is making the argument that Simon & Schuster should not be legally allowed to publish this book or that Milo isn't allowed to say the things that he's saying. They're saying that there's a difference between prote- protecting his right to free speech and offering him 250000 an entire publishing apparatus you know, as an endorsement and amplifier of his, of his ideas. And so for someone to make this stupid point all the time that the idea of not publishing Milo is somehow suppressing debate. It's like, no, he's allowed to have the debate. He's allowed to say whatever the hell he wants. But that doesn't mean that we have to give him $250,000 to say it. doesn't mean we have like, to listen. Like, that's the thing. That's the thing with the stupid free speech argument all the time. It's like everyone wants all their ideas to be, you know, loudly proclaimed and loudly listened to and entertained in all these, in all these ways. But they seem to conflate that with meaning that we have to like listen and hold them in as high a regard and consider them just as carefully as other ideas. And it's 
it's crazy to me that people think like that because not not all ideas are created equal. I mean, that's simply the truth of it. And if you're coming at me with some sort of line that, well, I don't know, we got to hear both sides. You know, maybe, you know, maybe Muslims really aren't okay to be in Western civilization. I'm, I'm, I don't have to entertain that. You know what I mean? Like that's a line of thought that I, as a civilized person, am allowed to view as hateful, as fringe, as all these things, and. It doesn't take much of a um, a zealot to think that that's that's something that doesn't need to be endorsed and compared and debated all the time. It's like, you know, this guy came at me on Twitter and he said, well, why, how come you want to suppress debate? And the very obvious answer is, well, what debate are you trying to have? You know, with so much of this stuff, it's like, well, they don't want to have the debate. They don't want to, you know, this stupid alt-right line of attack where it's like, well, these people are scared to actually debate us because they don't have any logic and they're so scared to entertain our ideas. It's like it's because the debates you're trying to have are about the basic humanity of different yeah. people. It's like, like, let's let's make a pro-con list about if Jews are people. Yeah, exactly. Like the debates <laughs> – exactly. The debates they want to have are things like are Jews people or, you know, are – do black people deserve civil rights? And it's like, no, no, I am not interested in having that debate, nor is anyone else with any amount of humanity and progress in their brains. You know, it's just it's silly. So Breitbart, and, Breitbart came out using the free speech. Right. Thing. Of course, they um, did because that's their whole thing. It's, it's their whole it's thing. It's the rallying cry. And I think I think um, so. So one of the big things that happened with this deal is that the Chicago Review of Books, who does about 300 book reviews a year. Yeah, so this they, is hysterical because they, this shows how stupid. Yeah. Well, they said that they weren't going to review any Simon and Schuster books in 2017. Okay. To be fair, like. You know, that's only about 15 out of 300. So it's, you know, not 15 a huge— out of, well, 15 out of 300, what? What do you that mean? They, that, so those are about—they usually have about 15 spots for, for Simon, Simon & Schuster, Schuster books. That are now going to go elsewhere. That are now going to go okay. elsewhere. Okay, yeah. so it's not, you know, it's not as huge of an right. act as, you right. know, like a bookstore, like said, Barnes & Noble not ordering them. So let, let's just make but sure— so here's, yeah. But so here's, here's what the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Review said— his name is Adam Morgan, said uh-huh. in response to Breitbart claiming the free speech thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a direct quote. We champion free speech, but it works both ways. Yiannopoulos has the right to say whatever he wants. Simon & Schuster has Correct. the right to publish whatever it wants. Correct. And the Chicago Review of Books has the right to cover whatever it wants. Our decision not to cover Simon & Schuster books isn't censorship. It's a free market capitalism. The freedom to speak your mind doesn't protect you from repercussions in the market. And that's the thing, right? And that's a perfect summary of what we're talking about here is you, person X, says something crazy and racist or you know derogatory toward a group of people that has you know an idea that simply has no place in modern American discourse. Everyone – not everyone, but most people in the country say, hey – I don't like that idea and choose not to entertain it. And then that person screams about censorship. It's like, no, man, the problem isn't that we're censoring you or taking away your right to say something. It's that what you're saying is fucking stupid. Like, this is not an issue of free speech. It's an issue of basic decency and hate speech and, you know, having editorial standards. And we're going to get to that in a second about these, these concepts of editorial vision and, like, what – responsibility a publisher actually has in making this sort of decision because I think that that's that's why I'm mad and you know what let's just get to it yeah let's just do it because you're all fired up (laughs) do you want okay so I to before anything I want to read the two statements that Simon and Schuster released so everybody's really mad at SNS right 
Um, Can we get? To, I want to read. Let's read that in a second. Okay. Okay. What do you well, want to do other, first? What's the other one that you were going to read? Well, that I was going to read both of them. There's two of them. Okay. Actually, read them. Okay. So the first one that they said, it was a very, very short statement to the Associated Press. Okay. They said that it does not con- – they do not condone discrimination or hate speech and that readers should, quote, withhold judgment until they have had the chance to read the actual contents of the book. Yeah. That's bullshit. Okay. Continuing on, they released a longer – um, a longer statement to Twitter, which is really ironic since Milo isn't on there. Yeah, first, um, yeah, yeah, we'll get to, yeah. So he said, and and this is a little bit longer, but he, they say, we do not and have never have condoned discrimination or hate speech in any form. Stop. Condone or, yeah, we have ne- we do not and have never condoned discrimination or hate speech in any form. Isn't paying $250,000? What is, what is paying $250,000 for someone to espouse it while also giving them a publicist, a marketing team, a Twitter account, all this stuff that they're going to do to promote this book? They're planning to sell this to 66,000 people at least. That's not condoning this man's speech. If it's not that hard, I think that most people would look at what Milo says, including many of his followers because they don't seem that mad about hate, and say, no, this is hate speech. What is condoning if not giving a quarter mil to the guy specifically for the purpose of— And raising of, their content up. Exactly. Of, the, of publishing and all that that means. All right, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I no. Am, that, I'm very sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'm surprised you haven't broke out the gong. Oh, I did it. At Simon & Schuster, we have always published books by a wide range of authors with greatly varying and frequently controversial opinions— Okay, this isn't a guy that's controversial. This is a guy that's absolutely reprehensible. Yeah. Moving on. And appealing to many different audiences of readers. While we are cognizant that many may disagree vehemently with the books we publish, we note that the opinions expressed therein belong to our authors and do not reflect either a corporate viewpoint or the views are of our employees. Yeah, okay, so um... – that's a really, really dumb thing to say. That's the dumbest Especially, thing I've ever well, heard. And let's let's break down why though, because at the very end, they make the point that it does not reflect that we publish uh, the books we publish. We note that the opinions expressed therein belong to our author. That the let's just make sure we go slow here. The opinions expressed therein belong to our authors and do not reflect either a corporate viewpoint or the views of our employees. So basically, that's. I mean, is is it fair to say that that paraphrase is don't shoot the messenger? Yes. Right? That's saying these aren't our ideas. These are our author's ideas. And we don't condone and, this and they're basically, at all. Yeah. They're basically saying that, yeah, they have no hand other than delivering it, which – Is bullshit. Which does two things. I mean, first, it totally undersells the publishing process, which is to spend all this time in a very fleshed-out campaign involving a wide variety of people – to make sure that the book reaches and is as critically praised as possible. Um, you know, I, I made a joke, you know, it's like, don't shoot the messenger works for the mailman when that person's job is literally just to hand you something he knows nothing about. The publisher is not the mailman. The publisher is someone who has taken in a manuscript and curated it with an editor, worked on the materials with the author, got it to a point where they believe it's ready to be published, handed it over to salespeople, to a publicist, to a marketing team, to review outlets, to everyone. They, they want everyone talking about this book and hopefully celebrating it so that they can sell copies. Um, this is not just delivering something. This is not thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars on this book. That's the, that's not just delivering strate- Yeah, They're strategically saying and they're cherry picking this. And this is a thing that all publishers do. 
They strategically are saying, don't shoot the messenger. It isn't us. It's our author. But then what happens, and this is, it's very obvious, what happens anytime any publisher's book wins an award? They take credit. They totally take credit. I mean, they they do the whole thing where, oh, our author is so great and all this stuff, and that's all fine and good. But they also love to build brands. This is how they build lists. This is how they build brands by saying, we had an editorial vision for this book. We had a plan to acquire this. We felt that the ideas in this book were so worthy of being published. We, you know, sat in an editorial board meeting and decided, yes, this is how we're going to publish it. This is a great, you know, this is the great American novel, and thus we should acquire it. They really, they love to, like, really paint the picture of an active role when it goes well. And then right. they're pulling away right. but as saying soon as that they, they have as no editorial As soon as they make those vision. same choices, as soon as they make those same decisions and put, the, put a different book through those same processes, it's nope, nope, nope. No, don't shoot the messenger. This is his ideas and doesn't – and especially ridiculous, does not reflect a corporate viewpoint or the views of our employees. I think it does reflect a corporate viewpoint. And it's not that it reflects a viewpoint that's like, oh, Simon & Schuster is – or even Threshold Editions is like some alt-right, you know, know, it's like a Breitbart book publisher. No. The corporate viewpoint is that they don't care about viewpoints. All these, all that these major publishers care about, and I am specifically talking here for this next little bit. I am very specifically talking about like the major, big commercial houses. Obviously, smaller houses or more focused houses have editorial visions where there's more than just commercial consideration going on, right? But like for Simon and Schuster or one of these big five houses, it's it's not about it. Honestly, at the end of the day, they don't really care what the ideas are, whether they're progressive. Whether they're liberal, whether they're conservative, whether they're alt-right, they, the only thing they care about is whether or not they see someone who's willing to buy it. And what they saw, they were they were willing to look past hate speech. They were willing to look past um, a guy with a history of all sorts of targeted harassment and all sort just nasty, nasty things said about a wide variety of people who has built a platform out of hate. Right? I, I think that's a safe thing to say about this guy. And they were willing to look past that because simply because they believed they could sell it. And they probably can, to be clear. Like, I do think that people are going to buy this book. I don't think it's – I think that – yeah. I mean, they need 66,000 people to buy it. He had, I think I saw today, somewhere like 350,000 Twitter followers. And, he's, you know, he's probably even bigger than that. Not all those people are going to buy books. I mean, who are these people that follow him, right? These are the alt-right anime Nazis living in the parents' basement who kind of like – you know, who don't have jobs and just kind of send, like, Pepe memes to whatever Jewish journalists they find, right? These are not mm. exactly, like, active people who are looking to be well-read. So I'm sure they're not going to, like, all pony up the 25 bucks to read some guy who they were just getting tweets from. Maybe 10 bucks for the ebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess ebooks. And I was going to say it's too bad Amazon exists because these are not people really inclined to leave their homes. Um, so, I guess, <laughs> But I guess, I guess they can get the instant delivery. Um, but... It's all about it's all about selling it. There's no editorial vision at these major yeah. houses overall. Like, and there are that's there are individuals with vision. Oh, absolutely. There are individual like there's all sorts of wonderful individuals working at all these places. I, I want to be very clear, but like as a corporate viewpoint, it it they're trying to smokescreen you here. They're trying to say, you know, that Mila's viewpoints is not our corporate viewpoint, and they're right. It's not their corporate viewpoint, but what is their corporate viewpoint is nothing. Is nothing. It's aggressively nothing. And when I think about that Trump episode we did right after the election, you know, you and I talked a lot about is publishing going to move right? Is publishing going to, you know, because I mean, I think that over the last eight years, we've sort of seen 
publishing be fairly fairly liberal, right? Like just kind yeah. of like tacitly liberal, you know, a lot of books in a I lot mean, of threshold was very niche right, up exactly, until right. last week. You know, these were these are books that um, you know, most publishers kind of vaguely leaned left as just part of the, you know, media class. Um, and our point back then was that publishing doesn't need to move right because publishing isn't actually to the left. Because to me, publishers are not these ideological bastions with a viewpoint. They're not are, you know, they're not inherently progressive. They're not sitting around thinking, how can we produce books that have ideas that are going to further some cause or like help people or, you know, present a viewpoint that is forward thinking. Some people do that, but not overall. And now, you know, they're mirrors. And this is a point I've been I've been trying to hammer home these last like publishing is not going to be the stopgap. In fact, it's going to be the problem. Like when we talk about normalization, it's like, you know, you see everybody yelling, don't normalize Trump, don't normalize Trump. Like this idea that, you know, the 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 danger here is that the alt right is somehow going to move from the fringe into like a normal accepted mainstream realm of thought the way that happens is through publishing you know it's through getting books in the main you know out into the world from Simon and Schuster from Random House from any of these and Random which by the way has published Ann Coulter for you know almost a decade now right like and has had tons and tons of bestsellers right? with her. Yeah, no, because people do buy it, and that's all that matters. Is as long as they can get, as long as they can cater to some amount of audience, they don't. They, it doesn't matter. And it's like, I don't know. So, so by saying that they aren't reflected in Milo's viewpoints mm-hmm. and vice versa, they're saying that they're a mirror and that they're just yeah. reflecting back yeah. on everybody. Right. So I want to I want to talk a little bit specifically about Simon and Schuster because they're the example of the day. But I mean, you can find this with any big publisher. I want to talk a little bit more about that editorial vision that yeah. seems to be so absent sure. right now. Sure. So I looked up at Threshold Editions yeah. um, on their website, and they you know they print Trump, they print lots of people, and their imprint mission statement. And this is a direct quote from their website pulled today. Uh-huh is to provide a forum for the creative people, bedrock principles, and innovative ideas of contemporary conservatism, and to chronicle the historic reforms those people and principles would bring. So, okay. so basically, if we're if they go through, if they're at the editorial meeting, and let's just like assume that they have the mission statement written an, on the chalkboard, yes, right? And they yeah, have an like, editorial okay, vision. They're gonna come to in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're gonna say, yeah. okay, this book. This reprehensible shit pile of a book. Yeah. Okay. Let's well, so figure out where that fits. Pa- pause real quick. Pause real quick. Because you're or to call it a reprehensible shit pile of a book is to say that its ideas are bad. Because I do expect it to be engaging in like, you know, I don't think this is going to be a poor quality. You know, I expect this book to be a success in all the places it oh, needs to be a success. Oh, it's going to be incredibly I mean, well a, written. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, I guess I do want to make the point that we are not calling these people stupid. No, we're just right? calling this idea calling, awful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so just yes. – So yeah. they're going up there and saying, okay, so this book that, that you know, focuses on, on hate speech, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Um, because what else is a book about free speech about when it you know it's secretly about hate speech? Well, that's the thing, right? Is that's that's why this book is about free speech because that's just the conservative totem. 
It's everything is free speech because every you know it has to be this response to what people see as this PC culture, as this you know crackdown on all their ideas. When really, we're just progressing past them. Like right. that's what it means. So, to, yeah. so my question is, if they had this mission statement yeah. up on their up on their whiteboard, right. is this book, is this set of ideas, is this person, and a shining example of? the new contemporary conservatism, is this book going to be a historic reform for those people, like for the yeah. people right now? Like is this is, – are they looking at this book and saying this yes, is where the future is, is headed? This is 2017 American conservatism. That's Maybe. I mean it sounds like – Either they don't have any – okay, so here's the thing. Yeah. Either they don't have any editorial vision and they're uh-huh. doing it because they think it will sell. Right. Or they're doing it because they think that this book and this type of content will fit into that mission statement. And mm-hmm. I'm not – honestly, I'm not sure which one is worse. Yeah. Well, that is – it is, you know, just basic math here, right? Like they have put forth – you know, they've offered us a semblance of an editorial vision in the paragraph of mission statement that you just read. Um, and then they acquire a book. I think that it is fair anytime any publisher with an espoused statement like that acquires any book to say, okay, does this book must, in your eyes, do the thing you're saying your books do? Yes. And, and, and so to say that – so that gets into a really interesting conversation that's probably not entirely within the scope of what we're – you know, this Well, show, I would like to like, compare it to a different yeah, mission yeah, statement of a okay. different Simon & Schuster okay, imprint. Yeah, do it. So in February of 2016, so less than a year ago, uh-huh. folks, uh, Simon & Schuster launched a children's imprint called Salam Reads. Uh-huh which is um, a, a, a Muslim imprint. Mm-hmm. So here's here's the mission state from that. Okay. The goal is to, quote, introduce readers of all faiths and backgrounds to a wide variety of Muslim children and families and offer Muslim kids an opportunity to see themselves reflected positively in published works. <laughs> so are these people, just, just so I can get a visual here, and someone maybe who, you know, has been inside the Simon & Schuster uh, building recently, you can tell me. Are these people just like down the hall from each other? I would assume. <laughs> like, I would assume. Is this like the suite over? <laughs> so, so, and yeah. when, and so, like, I work in Kidlet, yeah. right? Yeah. I work in this, and I had a lot of Muslim books on my desk at the time when this imprint was announced. Yeah. And I had a lot of people reaching out to me saying, this is amazing. Yeah. We're so great that one of these big publishers is finally taking a step in the right direction to, you know, change change the viewpoints of of these young children in America. Right. right. And it's the same. They get zero. The, I want to be very clear. They get zero points from me. Simon and Schuster does for creating that imprint. As wonderful as it is, as and as I'm talented and brilliant as the people working in it are, the the and fact the books that, are fabulous. Yes, yeah, I'm sure they are. But like in terms of like vision and create creativity and like being a you know light for progress and you know peace, I Simon and Schuster doesn't get any points because all they did was look at that the same way they looked at this is this Milo book is yeah we can sell that there are enough there are enough liberals there are enough progressives who want to read you know new you know books for with Muslim voices it's the same thing I mean it's not like they were sitting around saying you know it would be really important. If we did that, and if they if they did like put that into their own little conference room, they're fooling themselves because they're like this flies in the face of that this other thing, you know. And yeah. it's one, you know, I get the idea of having like separate imprints and stuff, but like when you introduce so many 
imprints that just run counter to one another. It's just kind of like it really proves all that you the, have. Like there's no there's no cor- the the corporate viewpoint is what can we sell, yeah, and not what actually matters, you know, and. I don't know. And that's why every – so there are a lot of people – I mean Chicago Review of Books we've already mentioned aren't going to be reviewing anything from Simon & Schuster. But the lack of that that corporate vision, that mm-hmm. that overarching editorial viewpoint, that's the reason why people going on and on about how they're not going to buy Simon & Schuster books and are taking books off to off their yeah. TBR list, you know, that's – that's why that's bad. That's why that's really harmful because no one wanting to boycott these books are ever going to buy from Threshold anyway. Yeah. They're taking <laughs> money hurting, away. You are just hurting. They're the taking other money imprints. away yeah. from Salam Reads. They're yeah. taking. They're yeah. taking money away from like really really wonderful imprints. Like I work yeah. with many small imprints right. of these big publishers, yeah. and they have strong editorial visions. Yeah. They have no. Passion. I totally. I don't mean to like shit on. So I'm not trying to like. No, you know, I know. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. yeah. But. You know, they're taking money away from those imprints. And, you know, big corporations aren't transparent in how they allocate their their profit and and their spending. You know, people are saying, well, I'm not giving any money to Simon & Schuster in case they turn around and give some of my money to somebody else for another hate speech type advanced book. Yeah. Well, yeah, but but you're also not going to be buying from, you know, perhaps those marginalized authors and those really, really valuable books that you wouldn't be doing anyway. It doesn't matter. Like Simon and Schuster plus doesn't all, matter that you're on your people, high horse. Yeah. Plus all the people they already they knew that they already knew you weren't going to buy the book, right? You're no one. They, it's not this boycott is not going to affect the book sales at all. No. Because you weren't part. You were not a part of the projected audience. And one you person know? who buys maybe three books from Simon and Schuster every year, like sorry, Wait, but that's it, not going to well, make so, a difference. And so that get, that gets to this idea. About like using that I think is just so silly and is such a product of just capitalism and kind of the way we pretend to use political voices in this country, which is making consumer decisions or in this case choosing not to buy something. It's not a political stance. It's, it's not just anything. capitalism. It's not anything. It's just capitalism. Like the idea that someone could, well, I'll just if none of us buy it, that'll somehow affect things. No. That's the kind of like inaction. It's the kind of static thing that this sort of system wants you to believe counts for something so that they can just continue grinding you into dust by doing whatever they want and knowing that there are enough other people to purchase the product. Like you – like enough – all these people getting mad at it and I am included in this group and I am feeling helpless in this regard. Um, Everybody, you know, decrying this book and doing all this stuff – and saying, well, I'm, you know, and the, and the action eventually amounted to, oh, I'm not going to buy it. It's like you weren't going to buy it. And you know what else? You're also buying a lot of – you're just like buy this, the basic like <laughs> property of negativity. You're also <laughs> like not buying a lot of other books. And it's like that just because that's intentional doesn't mean that it's any different than when you choose not to buy some novel that you kind of liked. You know, it's just silly. And – it also doesn't lessen at all the impact of what publishing is, which is so much more than just a question of book sales, right? It's that idea of mainstreaming. It's taking this guy and putting him, you know, giving him a big shiny hardcover and putting it on the front table at all the bookstores and having it him just be, you know, his face everywhere and just becoming a normal figure in political discourse. And I don't think there's any reasonable person who would look at someone who – says the things that he says about Muslims, who says the things he says about the homosexual community 
and realize, yeah, that's someone that we should have more front and center. That's someone whose views need to be heard more. And think it's just it's silly. And the idea that um, like the damage is done, you know, like there's no there's no boycott of the product that matters here. That's, and it never matters because that's not how capitalism works. It's the, all the people who were going to boycott it were never the ones they were figuring were going to buy it anyway. You know, like, no, they knew you were going to do is this. Not Simon & Schuster is not surprised that there's backlash to this book. You know, they had that statement ready. They were they put it out and it, it's fine. And they'll, they're, what they're going to do is what everyone does in the news cycle is just wait. And eventually the outrage machine will turn towards something else and they'll just go back to selling the book. You know, and, and it'll be normal. And it'll be normal. And it'll be normal. And he'll publish another one. And then someone else, you know, I mean, we talk all the time about comp titles on this on this show, right? Like, what happens when someone else, you know, I don't know, what, like, does Richard Spencer have a book yet? I'm sure he's going to get one. And they can say, oh, well, look, you know, there's absolutely, you, it's easier to build a publishing case if there's for a book, a book out there, if there's like, a precedent. Yeah. If you can say, well, we can comp it to this other one. We can say it's like the Milo book. This is how, you know, this is in, in a reverse way, this is how we talk about building out up a presence of um, like disenfranchised voices in literature, right? It's like if you get someone who comes from a viewpoint, that doesn't really get represented much that you feel needs to be, you know, represented more, you get them to have a success. And then suddenly when the next person writes a book like that, you can say, hey, there's a track record for this kind of thing. There's a sales channel for this kind of thing. The the exact same thing is happening, except this is hate speech, you know? And it, it's just crazy to me that they don't, they, there's got to be more editorial responsibility than that. Like there has to be someone who looks at this and says, even within the realm of, you know, American conservatism, like if you're a conservative imprint and those absolutely should exist and should, there probably more should exist because there's a lot of conservatives in this country. Um, how could you not look at that and just be like, this is, this is something, probably not. Like, this isn't for us. You know, this is not, this is something that, and not even because he's a provocative figure or because he's loud or because he's just at the end of the day, doesn't fit the mission. The guy's hateful. Yeah. He's he's espousing hateful views and he's not trying he's not doing a very good job of hiding that. You know? He's this, not trying to hide it. This is someone who blamed all American Muslims for the Orlando shooting at the yeah, that gay nightclub, you know? This is someone who, you know, called Leslie Jones, you know, a man over and over again on Twitter, you know, who is he's just a I don't know, he's made a whole career, a whole speaking tour, a whole presence, a whole everything out of denigrating people. And if that's if that's the discourse, and if that's something that we are putting the big editorial stamp of approval on, then I think we've got a problem. And I think that all those things we talked about a few weeks ago, where you know, I guess it's more than a few weeks, man. Time's flying. I guess a couple months ago now, um, where we were worried about, well, is publishing going to be the culprit in normalizing all this stuff that we were so out? You know, it's looking like yes, it's looking like the answer is abs a resounding yes. Yep, and. I don't know. It's just it's kind of disconcerting, and I think again, um, you know, Simon and Schuster is not the American public square, right? Just to go back to that free speech thing, like for Simon and Schuster to choose not to not to publish this book is not in any way, shape, or form to infringe on that man's free speech. It's not. And same way when Twitter banned him, by the way, like Twitter determined we are a private company, we are not, you know. He, this guy can say it on some other website, you know, and they got rid of him. And just to think, like, just think for a second, like, 
think about – and everyone listening too. Think about all the stuff that you see happen on that site every day, all the things you hear about and all the ways in which all you know women, minorities, whoever it is, just get hara- like harassed on just a daily basis and how no one ever gets banned. And then think about how they finally did decide to ban this guy, how bad he must have been and how bad he was. Not must have. I mean we saw it. This is, it's a public space. And then realize that Simon & Schuster, a publishing house, a book publishing house, has less decency standards than that. Than Twitter. And I love Twitter, but goddamn. Twitter banned this guy. They got rid of him. They canned him. They threw him out. Simon & Schuster gave him $250,000. Also, like, also, he has a history of, um, y- you know, I don't, I don't like to poke fun and laugh at these characters because I feel like it kind of – Especially for somebody like Milo, it pulls want. away at at their at the seriousness of, yeah. of yeah. them being in the public eye. Yeah. But ten years ago, he self published poetry that <laughs> <laughs> you guys so he like. Self, he so he self published yeah. poet a volume of poetry that is literally just plagiarized Tori Amos, Britney Spears, <laughs> and <laughs> and Mariah Carey lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then he claimed that that plagiarism was an intentional artistic statement. Can we? Like I'm sorry, that's I just incredible. had to. I yeah, was that's like, incredible. I mean, um, a publisher also you, co- saying that he he like what? I uh, would I would like for you to read the title of that volume of poetry. Eskimo papoose. Eskimo papoose. Yep, he used the pen name <laughs> Milo Andreas Wagner, yeah. plagiarized Tori Amos, Britney Spears, and Mariah Carey. No, like, and to your point about well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to make fun of these people because it makes like I I do want to make fun of these people. By the way, like the fans of Milo are are idiots. They're brain dead idiots who like have Pepe the Frog as their avatar and spend all day online and can't figure out how to do anything other than wait for mom to give them pizza rolls while they send me memes of like me and an or to steal you know poetry I mean? from yeah, Britney Spears. Exactly. It's like these are not like <laughs> we get to make fun of them. A All right, bit, a little I'll, bit. Maybe, I'll, I'll jump on that train. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, but, it's just even more so. It's just reprehensible that somebody said, "Okay, not only is this guy known for hate speech, but in this world and in publishing, I don't know if you know this, but plagiarism is is basically as bad as murder. Yeah. Like." Honestly, people can murder somebody and they're like, oh, you can write a good book about that. Cool. <laughs> but like if you're James Frey and you like yeah. make up your memoir, yeah. like yeah. Shit, goes, shit goes down. Yeah. You know, like it took that man like 15 years to crawl back from mm-hmm. that. You know, if you yeah. plagiarize, you're gone. Yep. You're gone. So not only did did he did he uh, he overcame the alt right and the plagiarism. Yeah, the alt right and the plagiarism. Yeah. All he wants for Christmas is hate speech. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I I let's are we done? Yeah, let's close All it right. out. Let's close it out All with right. something better. Okay. Uh, new year, new right tip. Oh, let's let's get the tip. Yep. Just the tip. Just the tip. Uh, so this year's or the first right tip of this year mm-hmm. is quite simple. Uh-huh. Um, there's there's a really common saying in writing that you can't edit a blank page. And basically that's there to just tell you to get stuff out there. You know, just write it and you can fix it later. Um, I am putting, you know, putting my hat behind that. But really what I want you to focus on is specifically I'm talking about how you shouldn't try as you're writing to have your book fit a certain category or genre. Um, if you don't know if you're writing YA or adult fantasy, it doesn't matter. Just write the damn book first mm-hmm. and then kind of see what it becomes and see what it 
feels most like and what feels right to you and you can edit accordingly. You know, there's so many, and we talk about this a lot on the show, there's so many genre restrictions and and, and category conventions, you know, the yeah. the tropes, the the you know, the the background that everybody has if they read a certain genre and they're coming into your book with that conception. Don't don't let your don't let all of that, all of that knowledge that it's eventually going to have to be something stymie your creative process or, you know, kind of close things off in the bud. Well, it's too tough. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think to add to that, it's like it's really tough to reverse engineer a book. You know, when you start out with all these parameters in mind before you've written anything, just write. Just write the book and then figure out what it is later. That's what editing is for. Right. So get it, get it down. Get, you know, don't worry about all these things that are really problems for later. Like the problem is that you don't have any words on your page. <laughs> um, get them down. And it's, I, I mean, just for me, I know that I've always had a better time editing when I've got a beginning, a middle, and an end of some kind written. You know, it's like it's easier to look at a finished thing than it is to just like come up with imaginary problems for something that doesn't exist yet. Like just get the book written. Exactly. Like you can fix it later. That's what editing is for. Yeah. That's what beta readers are for. Yeah. That's what everything Whole is for. Whole process for that. Yeah. Yep. There, surprise. There's an entire <laughs> process for that. Yeah. So that's that's our rule. Not only should you just write it to get it written because Lord knows we need good books out there. Yep. Um, but but don't, don't worry about what I'm going to think or what other agents are going to think or what editors are going to think. It doesn't matter. Just write it and we can worry about it later. Mm. So on that note... Please join us next week for Unless the Internet Blows Up Again, uh, an episode (laughs) on audiobooks. Join us on January 12th for our query show and on January 29th for our first pages show. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Later, guys. 